In Washington State, in Seattle, um, there is a, a man named Dr. John Gottman, spelled G-O-T-T-M-A-N, Dr. John Gottman, and he has been working for over 50 years with families, specifically working with families going through a crisis moment and difficult situations, right? So Dr. Gottman has worked with literally thousands and thousands and thousands of families and couples over the course of 50 years. And he's kind of a pioneer with regards to those of us that do marriage and family counseling. He can predict, his numbers can predict with about 94% accuracy if a couple is going to make it and if a family is going to weather a storm. He's that accurate. It's about 94 to 90% accuracy because he's learned a few things over the course of 50 years. And of course, everybody wants to know from Dr. Gottman, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to have a healthy family? And this is what he says. I'm paraphrasing, summing up in one sentence. He says this. Courage to face the truth. Courage to face the truth. No matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is to talk about, no, how, no matter how hard it is to confront somebody, do we have the courage to face the truth? So my question to you is this. When people bring things to your attention, do you have the courage to hear it and the humility to do so? Or do you get defensive? Because a person of character can hear these things without getting defensive, right? You know, love must be tough. You ever heard this? Maybe you've heard of this book by Dr. James Dobson. It's called Love Must Be Tough. If you've never read it, it's worth reading. And the truth is for many of us, when we have to give tough love to people, it's usually not, it's hard. It's not easy. There's an expression that says that tough love is usually tougher for the lover than it is for the one loved. In other words, it's usually much, much harder for us to confront somebody when we need to confront them than it is for that person to be confronted because most people don't like confrontation. But love must be tough. That's why as parents we give our children curfews, right? Because love sometimes has to be tough. By the way, Jesus does the same thing. God does the same thing with us. You've heard of the ten suggestions, commandments, that (laughs) Sometimes we have, to, we have to have these, right? It's important. Gentlemen, if you don't mind me saying so, I'm, I think most of us would agree, brothers, that often for us in marriage, when our wife has a problem, we try to solve the problem for her rather than listening and letting her vent. We just interrupt. I got the, I got the solution, honey. If we just do this, problem solved. Ladies, you know what gets us in trouble? If you don't mind me saying so, ladies, what I see, I meet with 275 to 300 couples a year. You know what I see, ladies, that gets the women in trouble? Is they don't let their husband have time to process a problem before they insist on talking about it. 
we got to solve this right now. Right now, we got to solve this. And they're just like going after this. We have to address this right now. And he's like, just, honey, I, I just need some time. Just let me process. Right? No, we, gotta, we have to do this right now. No, we don't, really. Actually, it's probably better if you don't do it right now. If you let the dust settle. That's called prudence, ladies. And of course, we see this on all sides. All right? I'm not picking on anybody, but I just see this a lot. Truth. We each have to be humble enough to hear when people bring, bring things to our attention. Love must be tough, and it is tough. And actually, for many of us, we have many acquaintances that we like, and then we have friends that we like, but will often tell us what they think we want to hear. But on a rare occasion, we have a friend who has the courage to bring us what we need to hear, even if we don't want to hear what they say. I mean, do you agree with this? Do you have a friend or somebody in your family that's honest with you? And then when they are honest with you, how do you react to that? You know, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, uh, King David, he's been given uh, like everything, right? He was, a, he was a shepherd, he's been given everything, and one day he's at his palace, and he's at the, on the roof of his palace, living the good life. And so he's, he's up there, and he looks down one day, and there's this beautiful woman bathing, right? So he sends for her. Her name is Bathsheba. He sends for her, commits adultery with this woman, has her husband, a guy named Uriah the Hittite, killed. Oh, and by the way, that was his employee. He's one of his soldiers. So he killed one of his old, own soldiers, took his wife as his own. So he commits adultery and murder. Nice. Okay? Not real good. So about a week later, this, this prophet named Nathan comes to him and says, yeah, David, let's do the math. Okay, let's do the math. You were a shepherd. God has given you all of this. And let's just do the math. How did you repay him? Oh, okay, right. So you committed adultery with a woman you've never met, and you killed her husband. Hmm. And that took courage. Keeping in mind, he's the king, right? So he could have lobbed Nathan's head off, as Henry VIII did with Thomas More, who brought that to his attention. So we sometimes need to have the courage that Nathan had. We're not finger-waggy. We're not standing on a soapbox, but we have courage, right? To, Nathan, to King David's credit, he was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So he sat down and he wrote Psalm 51. If you've never read Psalm 51, go home and read it. It goes like this. Have mercy on me, God, and your kindness and your compassion Blot out all of my offense. Wash me more and more from my guilt and cleanse me from all of my sin. By the way, that very prayer, when you see the priest stand up here every Sunday and wash his hands, that's what I'm praying, Psalm 51. Wash away all my guilt. You know, um, in my office over here, I have a file 
in my office of all the, how do I say this politely, all the letters that I've received over the years of people angry with me. It's about three feet thick. No, it's not quite that thick. It's about, it's about an inch thick, over 17 years. I've collected them all since I was ordained. Of letters, people that send them to me, they send them to the bishop, they'll put them on my car. I've had them uh, put them in the mailbox. I've had them put them on the rectory door. And, um, and it's really, it, so I collected them. And, you know, it's, it's funny because about 10 years ago, uh, I wrote a letter for the commercial appeal on the pro-life issue. And I got a, about a week later, I got a single-spaced, six-page letter from a woman just livid, livid. But she signed her name, and so I called her. And I said, hey, do you want to get lunch? And there was about a 30 seconds of silence, and I thought, they're never going to find my body. I mean, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh. So she's like, yeah, I'll get lunch. So we went to Perkins. We spent two and a half hours at having lunch at Perkins. Never met her before. And I wasn't trying to rope her into my position. I wasn't trying anything. I didn't have ulterior motives. I just wanted to let her know that I was, I'm not perfect. But I want to let her know that I care. After two and a half hours at Perkins and like six plates of french fries, we were leaving and she gave me a big hug and she was crying. And she just said, thank you for caring. And I share this with you folks, not because I'm patting myself on the back, but because one of the things that I have learned over the years in reading these letters and meeting with people like this, I just share with you something I've learned is that maybe in these letters, I don't know, 50% of it is vitriol, people angry, but maybe there's 50% in those letters that I need to hear. Even if it stings, I'm like, oof. Okay, all right, well, you know what, that's a good point. I don't want to hear it. All right. Because when we bring truth to somebody, they may not want to hear it right now, but you know what, they may hear it two years from now. And then they will respect your integrity and courage that you were honest with them. I'll close with this. So many of you know that uh, this week, Monsignor Peter Buccanani passed away from our diocese. Raise your hand if you knew Monsignor Buccanani. Okay, so most of us. He's a wonderful, wonderful priest. Priest of over 50 years in our diocese. And um, so... I uh, had the blessing of knowing Monsignor well. He's a wonderful priest. And so I talked to Monsignor about two weeks ago. And uh, in fact, he was supposed to cover one of my masses when I was gone. So I talked to him, and as I was talking to him, we were, I was joking with him. I was telling him, I said, you know, Monsignor, every year I go down and say a prayer at the, the graves of all the priests in Holy Week. So I was down there a few years ago, and I was walking around at saying a prayer at all the graves of the priests, and we, we got to the end, and this man says to me, he's like, where's Monsignor Buccanani buried? I said, well, you know, he's actually still alive. He's like, how old is he? So I told, I told, told Monsignor this, and he's like, I don't know, Ben, I have to check the obituaries every day to see if I'm still alive. So we had this conversation two weeks ago. 
One week later, the Lord called him home. Earlier this year, my uncle, Father Eric Peterson, a priest of over 30 years of this diocese, passed away, and he and Monsignor Buccanini were very, very close. Monsignor was like a mentor to my uncle. And I had been walking with my uncle with Parkinson's for well over five years, kind of walking this path with him and talking to him and spending time with him, you know. So we knew that the Lord was going to call him home, but when he actually passed, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And so the first person I called when he died was Monsignor Buccanani. And so I'm sitting out here in the front of the office and I'm talking to him and I'm just crying. And it was an ugly cry. You ever had an ugly cry? It's an ugly cry. So poor Monsignor had to listen to me crying like this, you know? But I was thinking this week, as I was getting back into town, I said, you know, it gives me such joy to think about Monsignor and my uncle in heaven praying for us and praying for yours truly. Here's my point. One of the things that I appreciated about this man was this. He had love and passion passion for his faith, but he was honest, boy. If you knew Monsignor, he didn't tiptoe around things. He had courage. And I share this with you, folks, because for all of us to have a healthy family and a healthy marriage and a healthy life and a healthy soul, we have to be willing to hear the truth and then apply what we've heard. 